It's time for a more in-depth look at today's news. It's time to find out who's pulling the strings. It's time for the Behind the Curtain podcast with your host, author Jeff Reynolds. Hi, I'm author Jeff Reynolds, and this is episode 33 of the Behind the Curtain podcast. Let's just jump right into it. Both my interviews this week feature somebody who's had enough of Kate Brown's draconian and arbitrary lockdown orders and have decided to do something about it. Both of these folks have decided it's time to start asking Kate the hard questions. My first interview this week is with Stan Pulliam, the mayor of Sandy, Oregon. Mayor Pulliam has heard from business owners in his community who are right on the precipice of shutting down for good. In turn, the mayor has started asking the governor lots of questions. We talk about the phone call he had with Kate Brown, how he's been invited to speak in towns across Oregon and the overwhelming response he's received by desperate business owners wanting the freedom to run their businesses despite almost no promotion of his speaking engagements. Pulliam is leading an effort for businesses to voluntarily reopen on January 1st to show that we can open up our economy safely and responsibly and help small businesses survive in Oregon. You can find Mayor Pulliam on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Mayor Stan Pulliam or at stanpulliam.org. My second interview is an update from Lindsey Graham of Glamour Salon in Salem. Over the summer, she sued Kate Brown in the state of Oregon in federal court over violations of her civil rights. She and her legal team have now withdrawn that suit and filed in state court. She updates us on the new strategy of seeking a jury trial, seeking damages in state court, which she can't pursue in federal court, and all the different state agencies she's included in her suit that persecuted her over the summer. Meanwhile, she still refuses to pay the thousands in fines issued by OSHA, and hopes the whole thing can be resolved by a jury. Lindsay is a warrior who's refused to back down in the face of intense bullying by the state. You can find all of her updates on Instagram at patriot.barbie. I want to remind you to check out my new website, www.jeffreyreynolds.net. There you can find all of my content for all the different platforms where my articles can be read. I have a lot of big plans for 2021, so make sure you go sign up for the newsletter at the top of the page. And if you like this podcast, please consider a paid sponsorship. You can help support this podcast with a small monthly donation. The more I can monetize the podcast, the more time I can spend on it, and the better the content will be. Go to anchor.fm slash behind the curtain and click on the big old support button right at the top of the page. Don't forget to subscribe to the Behind the Curtain podcast wherever you listen to it, and please leave a positive rating. Stick around to the very end so you can hear the full version of I Am America, the theme song, by my buddy Brian Futch. Please check out my book, Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. It's an examination of the dark money on the left and how they're slowly dismantling American society. Check out whoownsthedems.com for more information. Now on to our first interview with Stan Pulliam, mayor of Sandy, Oregon. Christmas? Yeah. Uh, Mackenzie would like it to calm down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you've been a little busy, haven't you? <laughs> a little busy, but it's worth it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, hey, let's uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, uh, Stan Pulliam, mayor of uh, Sandy, Oregon. <clears throat> uh, tell me what you what's been keeping you so busy that uh, your your wife wants things to calm down. 
Yeah, Jeff. Well, you know, for me, this really started about two weeks ago, uh, maybe a little over two weeks ago now. I got a text message from our, one of our local business owners here in Sandy. She said, can you meet me at my uh, restaurant at, two at three o'clock? I showed up and it was just about every member of our main street in Sandy, from restaurant and bars to coffee baristas to fitness centers. Wow. And they communicated they're, they're ready to open. And I, I don't tell people this too often, but they were ready to open Jeff uh, that Sunday. Uh, they, they were they were, uh, they were ready to go, and you know I I feel a, feel a pretty big sense of responsibility on your shoulders when you become the mayor of your your hometown like I did, and so I I spelled it out for him. You know, the, the, I let them know what we control here in Sandy, our police department, our local uh, business licenses, but more importantly, you know what we don't control uh, that the governor has power over, which is the OLCC, the Lottery Commission, uh, OSHA. Uh, but, you know, uh, the message I got from them that day was is they're in a rock and a hard uh, place. You know, they've kind of figuratively had that gun to their head where they're down to days uh, uh, to be able to open uh, or we're going to lose them forever uh, or they take this very courageous stance and, and reopen. And so from that day forward, I've been working to get them support, been traveling all around the state and, and, and meeting with different uh, communities. And we're hearing the same thing. Uh, they're all ready to open. So, so yeah, it's been crazy. Got a little bit of some national media attention, a lot of, on the local news and visiting these communities, but it's sure worth it. You know, when you look into the eyes of these people and see their desperation, uh, you know, that's why you run for a position of mayor is to, is to really provide results and, uh, and to fight for your hometown. So that's, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, that's that's kind of the uh, responsibility of government that we seem to have lost, right? That uh, uh, the government exists to protect the freedoms and liberties of the citizens, not to expand its own power. Well, that's exactly right. You know, we spend so much time talking about what the politicians are going to do and, and what the judges are going to do, but we we never spend much time talking about what we, the people, are going to do. And when you think back to the start of this great country, it was people coming together and meeting in local restaurants and bars and in churches and, and talking about their individual rights and liberties under tyrannical control. And, you know, I, I, I'm beginning to believe that we very much sit at one of these moments in our, you know, in our history, definitely in the history as a state where these local, you know, mom and pop, uh, Main Street small business owners, they've just had enough. And, uh, and when you put people in a position where they really have nothing to lose, uh, you know, it really does become a moment of we the people. Yeah, so talk about that. You mentioned earlier that uh, people were telling you in the initial meeting that they were days away from losing their business. Is that, I mean, you're talking less than a month away from closing permanently? Yeah, absolutely. So when I when this all first started, obviously January 1, it was we're getting close to days away here. But when this started a couple of weeks ago, you know, some of the pushback I received from business owners was, is, Mayor, we, we don't have that long. Uh, we don't have the couple of weeks to January 1. And we had to, I, you know, we needed some time to organize. Uh, January 1 gives us a very specific date uh, that we can kind of focus the movement towards. Uh, we get jokes all the time about 2020 and wanting to put that behind us and kind of start a year anew. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but I find that government employees don't like to work on uh, holidays too much. So we, we may get a little bit of relief from OLCC and OSHA on that day. Of course, we're hearing very uh, threatening language from the governor right now. 
Yeah, I actually, um, I saw something just today in one of the new Facebook groups that's popped up that uh, there was a letter issued by Kate Brown about uh, January 1st and, and extra enforcement being out there. But um, before we talk about that, let's go back and talk about, you had a conversation with the governor, didn't you? Yep, that's right. We uh, we had a little back and forth, lasted probably a little bit over 30 minutes. Um where I really, you know, I made the case uh, as, as you know, I mentioned Sandy being the hometown I grew up in. Uh, our Main Street, you think about what we've gone through, not just Sandy, uh, but small communities throughout Oregon this year and facing down this pandemic, uh, an unprecedented wildfire season. At every moment we turn to our local Main Street businesses, you know, who are the heart and soul of our communities to stand up and, uh, and fight for us. So that's the message I gave to the governor was is listen, you have, uh, these folks have reinvested in outdoor seating into their businesses just to have that pulled from them. They've been provided these arbitrary dates where they get these goal posts and they stock up on food and beverages and get their employees uh, all ready to go just to have that moved. Uh, this isn't an industry where the margins are, are tiny as it is. And these guys are at the end of the rope. And, and Jeff, you know, when I talked to them and it's what I told the governor, uh, I said, it's pretty unbelievable to be able to walk around, pack into malls, pack into Walmarts and support corporate America, but we can't sit down and support a locally owned small business. And I asked her, I said, I'm just not seeing the evidence. I'm not seeing the evidence uh, that, that justifies such an action. And Jeff, I got to tell you, she acted excited. Uh, she, she said, I absolutely have the evidence. It made me nervous. I thought, oh, holy smokes, you know, here it comes. Uh, after months of waiting for it, she said, you know, I'll have our, uh, our health officials, uh, Mayor, send you uh, the, uh, the evidence uh, immediately after this call. And here we sit four days, you know, four days after uh, she said that she would provide the evidence and still there's, there's, there's no evidence. And when you think how she has closed down the small business owner throughout the state of Oregon without providing the evidence, they demand to know. They certainly have a right to know why have they been shut down and, and why they don't have the ability to open up and try to put food on, food on the plate for their families. It's unbelievable. It, it really is unbelievable. And it, that's been driving me nuts the entire time, right? The ag absolute arbitrariness of these of these draconian lockdowns, right? Uh, we could have mitigated the spread of the disease, flattened the curve like they initially said, two weeks to flatten the curve, we're nine months into it now. You know, <laughs> we could have done all this stuff uh, with social distancing, masks if we needed them, if there was uh, a you know, compelling case that they would, uh, it would help stop the spread of the disease. Uh, and we didn't have to destroy the livelihoods and the constitutional rights of, of Oregonians across the state. I, I just got off, uh, you know, my first interview today was with Lindsey Graham. I've interviewed her several times from Glamour Salon down in Salem. And, you know, she's uh, refiled a new lawsuit and, and uh, is uh, fighting on civil rights grounds. And, and I think, you know, you're seeing more and more people starting to say, well, wait a minute, you know, what, what are the goals here? Why, why do these rules apply to this business and not that business? Why does it apply to big boxes and not small mom and pops? You know, it, it, it's all, it, it's also arbitrary and it's also unnecessary. Well, and then they talk about the science that's supposed to back it all up. And, and where is the science? You know, they like to put, they like to point towards hospital bed capacity. Well, I was just on a uh, call for Clackamas County mayors where I said, 
All right, uh, uh, we have uh, hospital capacity issues, it sounds like. How does this compare to the previous five years during the flu season? Well, sorry, Mayor, we don't have that information. How do you not have that information? How oh, that's crap. That's, that's got to be a lie, man. I, I'm not going to – you don't have to say it. I'll say it for you. That's a lie. It, it, sure, it, it, absolutely. And when you when you think about the drastic effects that this is having on mom and pops, Main Street businesses throughout the state, and they're not going to give you the science or the evidence, and yet we're able to pack into corporate America, like you said, Jeff. It, it's just what a time to be alive. It's astonishing that it take, took this long for Oregonians to kind of wake up and realize that we've got to take the state back. It's time. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's very much at time. Um, I want to, uh, we've talked about this before, but I want to uh, direct your attention to two articles I've written in the last month or so. One was uh, the uh, gyms and health clubs, their industry group in Salem <clears throat> issued a letter in which they said that they've talked to the governor and their and her staff, and they have admitted that there is no evidence that there's uh, elevated uh, passage of the virus at health clubs and gyms, but they're shutting them down anyway. Same thing with bars and restaurants and, and other high profile business or industries because they want to get people to take it seriously. So it's actually not about the science. It's about control and about compliance. Um, the other article I wrote, um, and it just slipped my mind, but go ahead and uh, comment on that. Uh, you know, the, the fact that the governor's staff knows that this stuff isn't actually real. Well, they, they absolutely probably know, which is why I'm asking for it, right? Which, which is why we want to know where the evidence is. Now, you know, it, we've talked about, especially in the lack of such evidence with such harmful effects going on to locally owned businesses, it, you know, it's outrageous that this governor is saying that she's going to come down on these mom and pop locally owned businesses. We have had a summer and fall packed with, with riots and mob protests, the destroying and vandalization of these local uh, storefronts all throughout Portland and the surrounding communities that have gone completely with the free pass. Zero consequences. And yet, this governor's all of a sudden going to grow a backbone and stand up to the mom and pop owned Main Street businesses in our small communities throughout Oregon that make up the heart and soul of our hometowns. You know, it, it's time. It, that, that is unbelievable that this governor thinks she's going to get away with it. Yeah. And, okay. So I, I remember the other article I wanted to tell you about is, uh, and, and we've talked about this, but. Uh, 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 Amazon, uh, Facebook, Google, Twitter, um, you know, Walmart, all these, all these large, um, uh, retailers online, online retailers, uh, have seen their, their, uh, their values, uh, double, triple, uh, over the course of the lockdown. So it's, it's clear that the lockdowns are actually benefiting. It's creating winners and losers. It's benefiting large businesses, large corporations, and killing mom and pops. It's, it's having that drastic an effect. Well, that's right. And then how many, how many years, Jeff, you know, studying this stuff, have we had to hear that the, that the Democratic Party is the party for the working class? And, 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 and that it's conservatives that prop up and support corporate America. You know, when it hits the fan, where are we? And where do we sit? And who's fighting for who? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, what are you trying to? Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? This is a, a January first movement. Um, this is a reopen Oregon. Uh, tell me what exactly the goals are. 
Well, it goes back, you know, to kind of where our conversation began, which is looking out for my local Sandy small business owners and business owners like them throughout the state. And it came really apparent after, you know, hearing from different attorneys and, and political folks that any legal action and recourse was going to take a year, if not years into the future, and that these folks just don't have that kind of time. And so when you're faced into that kind of situation, you only have one move left, and that's a political, you know, solution. And so we're, what we're doing is, is, is we're looking for a day of opening, January 1st. Uh, we have a sign that can be downloaded on our website at standpolium.org. Please do visit the website, download it, put it into your storefront so that people can come out and support your business on January 1st and, and the days afterwards. But really, it's a sense of, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. And she's going to have to come after every local Main Street small business owner if she wants to enforce her mandate. And when you think about what all these county sheriffs and what our local police departments are saying on how they feel about enforcing their mandate, it's going to be on the governor. And the governor's going to have to stand up and explain to the people of Oregon why groups like Antifa can run wild on our major city of Portland, but we can't open up for business especially when you consider our proposal, what we're planning to do, Jeff, which is right now the governor has many of these counties classified under an extreme level, which means their doors are shut. What we're asking for is just one level beneath that at level high. So you're talking about all the face coverings, the social distancing, the, uh, the sanitation, you know, they're trying to do the right thing. Uh, we're, we're trying to reduce the spread of COVID. This isn't a bunch of maskless, you know, outlaws, you know, looking, <laughs> looking to take on the governor. These are mom and pop stores that are just trying to get their doors open. And, and let's talk about that because all of a sudden being maskless makes you an outlaw. It's, it, it's, a, it's completely flipping the Wild West on its head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, what, what, a, what a great point, you know. And, and the truth is, you know, it, where I'm focusing my time right now is, is on these, these, these small business owners and, and trying to, to provide them help in any way uh, that we can. But what, you know, to that issue, Jeff, whatever happened to, you know, educating, um, educating our neighbors, letting people know, you know, the scientific research and facts, and then allowing our, our, our neighbors to come to a decision for themselves and their own families on how they want to proceed. That's what liberty is supposed to be all about. That's what this nation is supposed to be uh, founded on. My daughter, Lucy, and it's, it's just unreal. She just loves this Hamilton play that's on Disney+. Plus. She's singing all the songs everywhere she goes. And I give her a hard time because I ask her to fast forward to that section that we throw the entire movie out the window, you know, the moment there's a pandemic. Because I, I don't remember reading the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and, and that little star underneath it all, you know, that says none, none of this matters if there's a pandemic. You know, we throw all of your individual rights and liberties out the door. It's, uh, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and that's, that's what I always default to. That's my default setting, right, is um, if it's such a great idea, why does it have to be mandatory? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. I, and, and you're right. I mean, we can educate our, our uh, citizens and, and say, look, you know, there's a pandemic out there. It, this is serious. It, it, even if it's as serious as they say it is, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, not to make light of it, because up to upwards of 300,000 people have been killed by this. So it's, it's, it's important to understand that. But even with all of that, we don't, we don't have the 
right to remove people's liberties and it's not effective anyway. We can, we can mitigate the spread of this virus and its effects without violating people's constitutional rights. Well, absolutely. You know, there's a moment where uh, in our conversation where the governor says, what, you want to be like Idaho? And where she's talking about their, their, their case studies. And I said, you know, governor, I want Idaho's future. I want to stay, you know, that's, that's main streets are not, that are not devastated uh, by, by these mandates. I want uh, children that are going into the classroom and learning and studying and not falling further and further behind. You know, we've been spending a lot of time talking about our main street, but let's talk about our children here for a moment. You're talking about a state where, you know, 47 out of 50 in graduation rates, 43rd out of 50 in overall education. That's where we started pre-COVID, Jeff. And now, and now our kids are doing- So we don't really have a lot to lose, I guess, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I'll tell you, with two little girls, we got a, uh, Mackenzie and I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old at, at home. And, you know, we're worried this is going to become the lost generation of of kids, you know, our, our kids are fighting through it, and they're and they're lucky to have two parents at home uh, that have time and the ability to sit down and help them. But not every kid, you know, is that uh, is that lucky. We hear a lot words like privilege, privilege, you know, and uh, and and how uh, and the divide between different people. Well, let's talk about privilege here for a second, and and the divide between the haves and the have-nots. How about people with with solid internet? How about folks that? Uh, uh, people who have parents are willing to sit down, you know, able to have the time to sit down with their kids. It, let, let's talk about, you know, all the children out there and who's being affected. Let's talk about the population groups, the economically disadvantaged that make up these restaurant, you know, workers and employees. You want to talk about privilege and, 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 and coming down on folks that, that are really just fighting day to day. That's what's happening right now. No, that's absolutely true. I live in Rockwood, uh, so I see it every day. You know, I, I, I'm on the board of directors for my uh, daughter's charter school right there in the heart of Rockwood. You know, the really nice part of Gresham, right? And, uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, we see it all the time. You know, it, we have you know, broken homes. We have a lot of, you know, kids being raised by their grandparents. We have a lot of people that are uh, in really bad situations. And we have a lot of situations where, Kids are not even able to get on to the online lessons, and they're struggling. You know, they're falling behind, and it's 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 a huge challenge. And these lockdowns—you're absolutely right. Talking about privilege, these lockdowns affect the poor the the most, and and who you know they they claim to be the uh, the party of the working class, but they're not standing up for those people when it really counts. Not, not, not at all. And, you know, and, and that's not even to get into the issue of, of these schools and how important it is just to have, you know, kids interacting and be able to check in on some of these children. And, and who knows what's going on behind some of these closed doors right now as these kids are, you know, really, we don't know where, what the life circumstances are for a lot of these children. It's, it's just tragic what's going on right now, Jeff. And, and these leaders need to look at the totality of their actions, the totality of the impact you know, of these mandates coming down. They're looking only at emergency rooms and at certain population groups, and, and it's tragic, and our healthcare workers are, they're heroic. But we've got, we've got to look at the overall impact going on of, of these decisions. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to uh, ask you a loaded question now. Uh, would you characterize uh, Governor Brown's response in the phone call you had? Defensive. 
you know, I would say it was defensive. I would say it was um, unwilling for compromise. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is, uh, I, I talked earlier about what we as mayors control and what we, what we don't uh, control. And it is going to take courageous business owners to open their doors on, on January 1st. We have a governor who unfortunately is, you know, she's, she's not listening to the people. And it's times like this, though, that it does take a little bit of courage. This is where I get a little bit, uh, I get a little sappy, maybe a little bit corny, you know, talking about things like the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. And when that Declaration of Independence was first signed, you know, at Independence Hall there in Philadelphia, those folks were under uh, a, a total distress. The king had come out and said that they were all going to be hung. They were signing, you know, their death warrants onto that document. And the stakes are not, they're not that high today, but the consequences, they're certainly steep. Uh, but th this was not a time that we chose. You know, this was a, a, a time that was thrusted upon us, a moment that was thrusted upon us with folks that I hear every day are running out of time, that they have very little uh, to lose. And so that's why, you know, they need to open up on January 1st and the governor needs to pivot to that. We would love to follow any guidelines that she wants to issue down on restaurants, bars, fitness centers on our main street. But those guidelines have to allow us to open the doors and to put employees back to work. That's the bottom line, isn't it? So um, let's talk about uh, the reaction you've gotten so far from, uh, I, I know you've done several speaking engagements, sort of impromptu, not really even expecting this to take off like it has. Uh, what's the positive and, and what's kind of the negative pushback you've gotten? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll start with the positive. It's, it's been unbelievable uh, to get these messages where people ask me if I'd be willing to come visit their community, that they have a gathering of business owners. And then I, I drive over, I show up, and I have a hard time finding a spot to park <laughs> and, and these jam-packed rooms of people. It's truly been humbling. But, you know, it, it's not about me and it's not about Governor Brown. What it's about are these people in these small communities that are really, you know, they're up against it and they're at the end of their rope and they're ready to take their state back and to open their doors and, and take their livelihoods back, what they've worked for you know, their entire lives. So that, that's been uh, just the best part is, is watching people organize in their local communities, have really serious conversations as, as to where they're at and really feeling the sense of momentum like I've never seen in the state before where people have just had enough and they're ready to ready to return to the organ that we all know and love uh, and, and have come to, you know, really expect out of our state that we're starting to lose and have taken away from us more and more every day. Uh, the bad part is, is, you know, I'm, I lose faith in, in leaders and in, in people um, sometimes. It, you know, uh, if you go through some of my open letters to the governor, they, they start really polite. You know, and I ask her, I tell her that I, I, I know that she cares about Oregonians and wants just what's best for everyone, because that's that's the enormous weight I felt on my shoulders on election night when I found out I was going to be, you know, the elected leader mayor of, of my hometown. And so I only come to expect, you know, other leaders to have that same feeling about the areas that they represent. And it's just been... I'll just say, Jeff, it's been really unfortunate to have the, the frank conversations I've had with the governor, um, approached it in the manner in which this movement has uh, from a perspective of we're not asking a lot here. You know, we're, we're asking to open up one level underneath. I've had one business owner say, Stan, you know, it's too hard to get overly excited about something that still only shuts my capacity down to about 25%. 
and and I and I get it. And that, but that's that's how much we're trying to compromise and get this governor to move, and her unwillingness to change course and do what's right by our neighbors here in Oregon. That's by far been the most disappointing. All right, so uh, she issued a letter yesterday or the day before uh, talking about this reopening movement on January 1st, and uh, she threatened to have more enforcement out there. What do you think the fallout's going to be? Well, we'll have to wait and see what the fallout's going to be from the governor. Um, I, uh, you know, I stand with our business owners both who decide to, uh, to not open their doors on January 1, and I certainly stand with the ones that decide to take the courageous act to open their doors. But I, I got to ask our business owners, if not now, when? When? Do you have a year? Do you have nine months? Do you have six months? Do you have until the summer? Do you have a couple more months? Or is it what I'm hearing? It's down to weeks and days. And you only get these opportunities of the changing of the year, these kind of movements that are being all targeted and talked about statewide. You only get these opportunities handed to you so often. And so if we don't make the move on January 1st, what is it? And what is that next move and the opportunity to open? And so I expect a lot of people to open their doors. I expect uh, that possibly the governor might uh, come out. We'll have a reaction to that. We're finding uh, legal resources, looking at trying to develop different funds to help out local business owners. But, you know, it's really going to tell Oregonians all we need to know about this governor and the people that follow her. If after months of watching people riot and take over sections of Portland, Oregon, uh, under mob rule, with complete indifference to that, but she's going to come down on the small communities throughout rural, southern Oregon, central Oregon, down the Willamette Valley, the Portland metropolitan area that we, that we sit in. If those are the folks that she's going to grow a backbone and come after, it's going to tell us everything we need to know about this governor and her, and her followers. And, and I hope people remember. I really do. Yeah, you know, that's that's really uh, uh, frightening. And, and another aspect of this that has really troubled me has been how she's sort of weaponized OSHA and, and the Oregon Health Authority and the other agencies, never mind, you know, like in Lindsey Graham's case, sending Child Protective Services after on a bogus report. But, you know, you talk about how it's not even the state agents that are going out there and enforcing things. They're finding the businesses for not enforcing her mandates uh, and, and they're putting the businesses at risk instead of, you know, uh, uh, going out there and educating people. You know, we've, we've seen where several county sheriffs have said they're not going to enforce the, uh, the, the Thanksgiving limitations and we're not going to arrest people for having seven people in their homes and that kind of thing. And, you know, and, and then good on them because that's not their job. It's, it's to be out there to educate people and say, hey, you know, take it easy, there's a pandemic going on, instead of, you know, scaring people into compliance and, and uh, you know, threatening them with the loss of their business. That's, that's what's really troubling to me. Well, now, have you seen Bill Post's recent statement on the, on the House floor that he gave? Uh, I haven't, no. So I, I, it just came across my newsfeed, I think last night. First of all, Representative Bill Post, what an outstanding leader uh, uh, for Oregonians. But, you know, he brings up the very solid point that the in these unprecedented times. Think about what we have faced here in Oregon, from wildfires to a global pandemic to these mandates that she shut down. And yet she has not addressed the legislature. She has not, you know, walked down to the Capitol and convened the House and the Senate and asked for their opinion, the locally elected representatives and senators. 
and 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 where are these folks? Where are they? Well, we know where a couple of them are. Uh, you know, uh, people like uh, Tina Kotek and Peter Courtney are helping her behind closed doors in these, you know, emergency committee meetings and uh, where the public is not allowed to to observe. Right. And, and, and think about that. Think about this country we're supposed to be living in right now. Think about what we should be demanding as neighbors and as community members here in Oregon. We're allowing a couple of hand-picked elected elite politicians to meet behind closed doors to develop these edicts to the rest of us, and yet none of our elected representatives and senators are at the table and have a say. There's no public dialogue and conversation about what's going on here. And here There's I no regional representation. There's no representation. And, and, and why aren't these representatives and senators demanding it? Demanding it. They have ran for a position to be an elected power to represent us. I don't, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat. I understand that she has super majorities in the state, but these folks are getting off stock, uh, getting off scot free. You know, the governor's taking on all the pressure. Where is your locally elected representative and senators, and how do they feel on this issue? People need to be demanding answers out of their elected leaders. It's absolutely amazing to watch that uh, we've completely abdicated in many cases just this oversight role that we have as citizens and, and demanding common sense when, when they set up these mandates, you know, and uh, the, the demanding our rights. So uh, any effort to push back and, and demand our liberties back, I, I'm all for. Well, you know, you think about just <laughs> these edicts that have come down on us compared to what it even was that started this country. Uh, what was being forced down from the king in a lot of ways, it pairs in comparison to the full-on stoppage of work along our main streets of our locally owned businesses. And especially now when we don't even have legislative bodies meeting, uh, it's, it's completely outrageous. Yeah, and, and when they do meet, uh, they lock the, the public out completely. And, you know, lo and behold, they stand up and, and start to, to protest because, hey, uh, we have every right to be in that building, by the way. Yeah, yeah I, certainly, I certainly can understand that frustration. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you don't, uh, neither of us condones the violence and, and, you know, the destruction, but, you know, being frustrated with the idea with being shut out of the people's house, the Capitol, that, that really, and, and calling out MRAPs against them, you know, that, that really, uh, that was not a good look. Well, it's, it is, you know, I talk a lot about double standards. And again, I want to reiterate that, you know, we don't um, support, you know, violent protests or any of those kinds of things, but the double standards on all of a sudden these backbones that these elected elite leaders uh, show when it's a conservative protest compared to the nonsense that we have seen going on in Portland uh, for months on end, shutting down these local, these, you know, these small business owners, even when they were allowed to open, many were afraid to be open because of riots in the streets of Portland. It's, it, it, that's, that's, how many prosecutions are we at now, Jeff, for all that? Oh, it's uh, the last I saw it was around 600 or something, but, or no, excuse me. It was, it was a couple hundred and several hundred had been thrown out or, or abandoned. So, right. I mean, it, it, you know, it's maybe one in 10. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. So, all right. Uh, Stan Pulliam, mayor of Sandy, uh, tell us uh, where you're going to be next, uh, what the, what the schedule is this week and then how people can uh, support you and get involved. 
Yeah, so tomorrow morning, uh, up early, going over to the Dalles. We're uh, having conversations about going up to Columbia County, Baker City, Klamath Falls. Uh, we don't like to put a lot of attention on the individual locations that we're going to be at, just because we don't want uh, the governor to get them to get on her radar screen and for her to come down hard on them. So it's all word of mouth for the most part right now in these communities, but reach out to a local business owner. I guarantee you they know uh, what's happening. And, you know, please do hashtag New Year's Day. Follow my uh, social media at Mayor Stan Pulliam. We have lots of updates on the, the movement that's going on there. And then stanpulliam.org. Uh, you can download a sign to put it in your storefront that says New Year's Day to let your, uh, your customers know uh, that they can come out and support you. Uh, also, in the week ahead, you're going to be hearing a lot about Main Street Mayors, which is a new organization I've put together with mayors throughout the state. We're 15 and growing uh, that support Main Street, support these local small business owners and what we're talking about doing and, and showing leadership. Just like we were talking earlier, Jeff, about these legislators, it's time that these elected late leaders, these mayors show results for their community. And, and, and that's what we're looking to do. So keep your eye out for that. All right, I'll, I'll be waiting to see when uh, Ted Wheeler signs up. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stan Pullian, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Sounds good. Thank you, Jeff. All right. If you like this podcast, you can support it by leaving a rating and subscribing. If you really, really like it, please consider a paid sponsorship at anchor.fm slash behind the curtain. And don't forget to buy my book, Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy, which you can find at whoownsthedems.com. Now it's on to my second interview, Lindsey Graham, on her continued fight against Oregon's draconian lockdown orders. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Long time no chat. <laughs> I know things are happening. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> all right. So let's let's just jump right into it here. Um, you uh, filed suit uh, late in December. Uh, tell me what the suit is all about. So the suit uh, originally, the one I filed in July, was directed. I uh, went straight to the federal courts, but you cannot sue for any damages in federal court before going through state court. So we had to drop the federal suit and go to and go to state court because we're trying to get funding to you know for future le future legal battles um, regarding all things small business. So we're suing for damages now in state court. The purpose of that really is to set a precedence for other small businesses because what we're what we're alleging is that Kate Brown did not have the authority to lock down and shut down businesses in the first place. And therefore, every consequence that we incurred because of that is her responsibility. And we are also um, suing the agencies that came after me and harassed me and, and attacked me after I opened, uh, because obviously if I was, if it's legal for me to be open, that shouldn't have happened either. Um, and lastly, the idea that Kate Brown shut down every single business and she decided for herself who was or was not essential is not within her authority either. And they didn't give anyone any chance to prove that they could operate safely. Right, there was no they due just, process, right? Yes, no due process. And so she took that away from us. She took away our rights. And uh, basically, if we can get a court of law to agree that that's correct, then it sets a precedence that 
you know, all governors did not have the authority to do so. Okay, so th there's a lot to unpack here because the last we talked, you were filing in federal court because you thought you had a better chance there. So yeah. let's let's talk about the the uh, uh, decision to drop that suit and, and change to a state court venue. What uh, what was the what prompted that? The what prompted is that we didn't have a choice. If we wanted to file for any damages whatsoever, so any any monetary value, you can't you can't do that in in federal court. So it had to just be that we were suing to set precedents. Mm. Um, however, <laughs> this is going to be a really big case that it's going to cost a lot of money. And, uh, you know, as much as I appreciate everything that everyone's donated to the GoFundMe, it's not going to cover a case this size. So we do need to, we need to, we need to sue for damages and get some more funding to, to carry this kind of, this kind of case on. Um, so we are forced to file in state court. Um, however, we are demanding a jury trial. So what we are hoping is to be able to bypass any judges that Kate Brown herself has appointed that might be biased. That's very interesting. Yeah, because uh, that, that was the reason, right, was uh, to file in federal court, you had a better chance of getting a, uh, an impartial judge who wasn't beholden to Kate Brown because they were appointed by Kate Brown. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So, so now a jury of, of my peers, and we are talking about you know, middle-aged people who work for a living, uh, who felt the consequences of the lockdown, whether you're a business owner or you are employed by a small business, um, you lost your job and you lost your livelihood and you, you actually lost the, the, the sanctity and the security of knowing that you could provide for yourself. And for a lot of us, uh, that's very scary. It's not so much how much money did I lose or could I lose? It's the fact that I didn't have a choice in this matter, that it was just, it was ripped from me. And now I am dependent on the ridiculous unemployment system that did not have our backs, by the way, um, and then the measly stimulus check, which helped basically no one. Um, and so if I can get a jury of my peers, people who experienced that, who uh, moms and dads who are who can understand the devastation that I went through when my children were threatened, um, who can understand what Kate Brown's doing even to this day, keeping our children out of school, they are going to be a lot more sympathetic to what was done to me and to every other parent and small business owner in Oregon than, you know, one judge who may or may not be compromised. So are you looking for other business owners to join? Is it, is it a class action suit or is it, how, how would that look? Uh, it's not a class action suit because the experience that I went through is very different than what everyone else is going through. You know, they were not attacked by Oregon Health Authority, CPS, Kate Brown herself, right. et cetera. So this OSHA. case was, yeah, yeah. My, my lease, my city of Salem. Mm. This case specifically goes after the agencies that tried to punish me for protesting the lockdown. And so after this case, when we win and it sets precedent, I believe, and I have to talk to my attorney about this, uh, he may not even be interested, but I believe <laughs> we have a case for a civil suit and I would love to lead the charge on that. Uh, yeah. I, I have so many small business owners that have been supporting me and have, have made it very clear that if that if it does come to that, that they're on board. And so honestly, if I can if I can win this case and, and have some more legal funds to keep going, um, that is very high on my list is to lead a class action for them. Okay, so I know you're not the lawyer and, and you're not trained as a lawyer, but what do you think the chances are that you'll be awarded a jury trial in this case? Oh boy, I... I believe in manifesting your destiny and I believe in, in the power of positive thinking and I definitely believe in prayer. And there's a lot of people praying for me in this journey. And there's a lot of belief personally for me 
that this is something that needs to happen. And so I'm, I believe that we are going to prevail in this case. And there's, there's no way to think about it otherwise. If I, if I think there's any chance of failing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing it. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of my attorney times. It's a waste of, you know, my spirit and my, my energy. But I believe with everything in me that the tides are turning in America and people are starting to see through the BS that they've been fed for the last year, entire year. And I believe that, I believe that we are going to prevail in, on every level of this, of this case. Okay, so your, your, your strategy is basically, let me just break it down to make sure I understand it. Uh, you're suing uh, Child Protective Services for sending their agents against you in a, a false report. You're suing Oregon Health Authority. You're suing OSHA. You're suing Kate Brown and City of Salem. Is that right? We are, so we are not suing the City of Salem. They never actually took any action against me. We oh, okay. left them out of it, yeah. Um, but we are suing the agencies you just listed. And we are suing the individuals involved in those agencies because there, there, is, there are a series of human choices that they could have made along the way as opposed to just doing as they're told. And they morally and ethically decided in their own human brain, I'm going to proceed with this action even though I know it's wrong. So for example, the ridiculous child services claim however high up it came from, if it came from Kate Brown herself or, you know, Kate Brown's secretary or, you know, just someone underneath Kate Brown. It doesn't matter where it came from. A series of people made a conscious decision to follow through with this incredibly bogus claim. And it was incredibly bogus from the minute it hit someone's desk. It should have been, I've been told by multiple CPS workers, this should never have made it past, you know, the phone call that it was, whoever that phone call came from. It never should have made it past there. Well, it passed through three or four people before they came to my house and interviewed my child and lied to me about how they could interview my child. They broke the law. All of those people, at some point, one of them could have said, listen, I feel like there's an agenda here. This doesn't make sense why we're investigating this woman. And you know, I'm not gonna follow through with this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that this is wrong. They could have made that decision morally. None of them did. And so they're just as responsible for following directions um, as the person below them and the person below them and the person above them. They're all responsible because we have, a, we have the freedom as Americans and as humans to look inside our soul and say, something's not right here and I'm not just gonna follow orders, I'm gonna stand up for this person or I'm gonna stand up for this, this moment. And people are doing that less and less and it's discouraging. And so these people need to be held accountable for the actions that they chose to just follow blindly without questioning the system whatsoever, knowing that it would result in, you know, a negative impact on someone else that didn't deserve it. Yeah, you know, that, that's an interesting point. Certainly the moral case is, is deeply troubling and, and we're at a place in American society where morally we don't question those things the way we should. Um, but even just from a legal standpoint, they don't have the legal authority to open investigations like that. that it doesn't even make any sense from just a statutory, I mean, you know, just because the, the uh, bureaucracy exists doesn't mean that they're allowed to uh, open an investigation whenever they want. They have to have protocols in place. Correct. Yeah. And, and let's say that they knew what those protocols were and they knew that it needed to be, you know, an, an anonymous phone call saying that I, I mean, whatever, like I don't feed my kids, we'll say. <laughs> There's got to be some, some merit to that before you go knocking on my door and demanding to see my refrigerator. I mean, this, this call, we don't know where it came from. Um, 
it was anonymous. It was full of blatant lies and, and non-facts from a person who, from the very beginning, said that they did not know me. I mean, that's how dramatic this is. This, this, this fake phony phone call admitted they, on the They phone actually admitted they didn't know you? Yes, they admitted it in the phone call. We have. I don't think I knew that from the last time we talked. That's no, amazing. and I don't know. I mean, pretty early on, I was trying to. I was trying to be really hush hush about things, but I mean, the person that took that phone call should have said, "All right, well, we're just going to go ahead and, and toss this report." But they didn't. They they passed it on to someone else who also said, "Ooh, yeah, let's check this out." And then they passed it on to someone else who said, "Ooh, yeah, let's check this out." I mean, I'm not. I don't work for CPS, but I, I'm also not stupid, and I believe that in any job I would be given, if if that phone call were to have happened and been passed to my desk, I would have said, can you explain to me please why we're following through with this? Cause this looks like a waste of resources and time. And there are children who need us. So these children don't need us clearly. The other children across, you know, Oregon need us. Let's it's not like CPS has been free of scandal over the last 10 years right? and uh, free, free of the need to overhaul its entire operation. Right. Yeah, there. So, if we can uncover even more of a scandal, that'd be great. But if I, even if I wasn't a mom or or a parent, I would be furious to find out that my tax dollars going to this agency are spent on other people's political BS agenda. Because, you know, I was just telling my husband, even if it had nothing, even if it had nothing to do with Kate Brown, we're talking about people who clearly had a political agenda. Maybe they saw my name in the news and said, Ooh, I'm going to get this girl. I want to send CPS to her, to her house. Yeah. How she puts Trump, the Trump flags up in her interviews. She, yeah, she's got to be taken yeah, down. I'm, and... like <laughs> I'm not shy anymore. I'm not quiet. <laughs> I am yeah, who I am. You were shy before. But yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They really brought it out of me here, but, um, yeah. So there's, there's, I mean, there's your tax dollars at work is coming after people like me for no reason. I mean, that's I, I, without even being a parent, you would, I think would think that you would be outraged at that. So, okay. So th explain why seeking damages is important here. Well, now this is an interesting one. I've incurred way more than a hundred thousand dollars in damages. Right. Way more. And that seemed, um, you know, when I told my wife what you were doing, uh, she's like, that doesn't seem like very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't even begin to cover what I've gone through. Not at all. But um, I think, I think that once the jury sees what I, what I have gone through um, and, and what I've truly lost, you know, emotionally, monetarily, you know, the stress, the anxiety, what my family has gone through. Um, they're, they're, they're probably going to be inclined to make it more. Um, I'm not a greedy person. I'm not a selfish person. I'm not looking to buy a yacht in, in Maui with this. Um, I think, you know, our main objective is that this money, you know, the majority of this money could go back into funding additional legal cases. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, Ross and I haven't talked about the strategy of that number. You know, he knows I've lost way more than that. Um, I think the goal is just to get it, to get it in court and get it in front of a jury and, and, and get a good, a good outcome. Right. Okay. So what are the, what are the potential, I, I, I could see some potential pitfalls in filing in state court, even if you have a jury trial with instructions from the judge, you know, uh, uh, evidence that could be excluded, that sort of thing. Have you talked about that with your attorney at all and how to, how to fight back against that? Or is that premature? 
that's I think it's I think it's premature. I think that he's wait he, he's a very very smart level-headed man and he takes every step at a time, which is great. So for me I'm sitting here going, "Okay, we need to talk about this and this and this and nope, we'll we'll get to that when that time comes." And so right now we need to we have a judge that's been assigned to the case. Um we need to get in front of him and he needs to say that that I do have a case first of all, and then he needs to say that yes, I deserve a jury. And then we move on to that. And then once we know we have a jury trial, that's when it really goes down and we say, okay, it's time to start. start okay. And yeah. So, so when's that preliminary hearing? I don't know. I don't oh. know. Everything you have a judge. Slow. You don't have a hearing yet. Yeah. Everything is so slow. Uh, I, I could go back in my emails. I, I would believe that they would try to set something in the next couple months. Um, but I don't know that yet. Okay. Uh, is there a potential that they're going to slow walk this because of COVID say, Hey, you know, we can't get you into a jury because we can't get people uh, into a, the same box at the same time kind of thing. Of course they're going to use COVID. <laughs> Jeff, have we learned nothing this last year? <laughs> of course they're going to use COVID to slow my case down uh, and not just any case, my case for sure. Yeah. Uh, the jurors will have to wear masks. I'll have to wear a mask on the stand, even though I'm by myself and 20 feet away from everybody. They're going to use whatever they can, I'm sure, mm -hmm. to to make sure that this doesn't go any, any quicker than it needs to. Gotcha. Okay, so so let's see. So we're talking we're talking about uh, CPS and and OSHA. Uh, now they they OSHA. The last time we talked, OSHA had moved forward with their fines anyway, despite the fact that they could provide no proof that you were a uh, an employer. Um, and I don't think that that was ever resolved the last time we talked. So can you talk about that hearing with OSHA? Yes, that is not resolved. So I have to go to court for my OSHA citation. So OSHA, OSHA is what started this whole, you know, this whole thing. Actually, I'm thankful to them. They threatened me with a $70,000 citation before I even opened. And that's where someone opened to GoFundMe and said, let's cover her. And that is actually what gave me, if you will, the, the strength and the balls to say, okay, I'm gonna open anyway, America's got my back. And I did, and I, um, I actually cooperated with OSHA when they tried to come to my salon and there could have been uh, violence, or they, at least they were worried about violence. I don't think anyone outside my salon was violent, um, but they were worried that if they came to my door, there would be violence. And so uh, I cooperated with them. They opened an investigation into me. They never actually stepped foot in the salon. They didn't, they just spoke to me over the phone and interviewed me, and upon, my interviews, they decided that I was an employer. They issued me a $14,000 citation and demanded that I close. Um, but because I retained an attorney to fight the citation, um, I did not have to close because I'm in open litigation. So that was, that was in May. I mean, that was nine months ago. Um, OSHA is sticking by their $14,000 citation. Um, I've had an attorney, my attorney, George Goodman, he's an OSHA attorney, fight it on every level that we can up until the point of court. And even though they can provide no evidence to support a claim that I'm an employer, and this is in a private briefing, by the way, between just OSHA execs, representatives, and myself and my attorneys, they could not provide a page number of a document in the file anywhere to, to validate the conclusion that they came to that I was an employer. So, my attorney all but demanded that they drop the citation. They refused to. And what's, what's really bad is he told them from the beginning, listen, this is political. I know it is. 
And I don't think you're going to drop the citation for political reasons, but if you're not going to, you need to tell me now instead of wasting my time and wasting Lindsay's time and wasting, you know, our legal funds. And they refused to tell us that they wouldn't drop it, but then they refused to drop it as well. So, so they're just locking up the lips and, and they're not saying anything and forcing yeah. you to continue to act. Yep. I think that they, I mean, my attorney said, you, you understand that in a court, a judge is going to throw this out immediately for the, the top three reasons that I've listed. And they just, well, I guess you'll get it thrown out in court then. It's like, okay, see you in court. You guys just are trying to spend my money and trying to drain me of all my legal funds is what they're trying to do. But we are going to court for OSHA. Um, I They said that I could pay the citation in payments. That was their generous offer for me is that I could make payments on the OSHA citation. So, I'm telling you right now, I'm not paying that citation. I'm not paying it. I would rather file for bankruptcy than pay it because they had no right to issue it and me paying it is them winning. And, and, and what, what kind of assurance do you have that if you paid that citation, they wouldn't cite you for the other eight and a half months, uh, right? I mean, you know, Zero. And, I, and they would come in and shut you down immediately anyway. Yep, the only reason you can stay open is because you're fighting them legally. Mm -hmm. Zero. And, and um, you know, we, we are a constitutionally compliant salon. If someone comes into my salon without wearing a mask, it is not my job, it is not my duty, and it's none of my business to ask them why they're not wearing one. I'm not gonna violate someone's rights, I'm not gonna violate HIPAA, and the government is not paying me to do their job for them and enforce these things, and so I am not. And now, That's a very interesting point, actually, because the, OSHA has uh, threatened all businesses in Oregon. You are the enforcement. Uh, you are to enforce our regulations or you will be fined or shut down. Right. So here's my, here's my whole mindset on that. The government probably knows that it's a violation of people's rights to enforce masks on them. And so then we could all be suing the government for violating our HIPAA rights. So they're not enforcing masks, are they? They're telling businesses to enforce masks. So now businesses are violating people's rights and businesses are being opened up to lawsuits and um, all kinds of legal disasters, okay? But the government isn't paying us to enforce for them. They're not offering us any compensation. They're not reducing our taxes. They're doing nothing for us except making our lives harder by telling us that we have to do their job. And guess what the payment for that is? Oh, we won't shut you down. Oh, well, how sweet of you. Thank you so much. I, I love to have clients angry at me uh, for my business to be boycotted because I do or do not believe in masks. You're punishing small businesses and you're making them a liability for lawsuits and you're, they're, they're enforcing your stupid illegal mandates as a courtesy for free mm. with no reward whatsoever. That is so manipulative. It's unbelievable. Right. It's, it's so it's, manipulative of the government. It, it, it's way more manipulative than actually being a dictatorship where you, you enforce it at the point of a gun. It, it's, it's actually much more insidious than that. Because, because it's manipulative and it's, they, they've worded it in a way that people can say, okay, well, I, I understand why that has to happen. But as a, as a free thinking human, I see what they're doing and I'm not playing that game. If yeah. you want 
masks to be worn inside of businesses, then you need to create a job, which we could use those anyway, right? And the job of this person is to go to every business and they enforce masks. It's their job. They get paid to do it. They work for the government. The business owner doesn't have to take responsibility. Now, why isn't Kate Brown thought of that? And um, why is it that she would still rather make us do her dirty laundry than to A, do something that would create jobs, B, if it's so important that we remain safe and masked and, up. And oh, by the way, if it's legal. Right, yes, it's probably not legal. That's why she's not creating a, a job to do it because she can't. Right, but she can legal. intimidate businesses into doing it and there's nothing that is, her, her, you know, 1,200 attorneys at the attorney general's office have told her that it's not illegal to do that. Right, correct, because yeah. she didn't, really send us anything certified mail that says that it's our job now. So we only know that it's our job because social media is telling us to, right? Right. And, and OSHA agents are coming to shut you down if you don't. Right. Right. And so I don't know, I can read between the lines and uh, I can see through the, the BS that she's trying to feed businesses. I'm just, I'm bummed that other small businesses aren't seeing, seeing through it and saying, listen, we'll, we'll We'll be compliant, okay, but to an extent. I mean, if someone walks in my store, I'm not going to ask them to wear a mask because it's none of my business why they're not wearing a mask. And that is compliant for Kate Brown, and it's compliant for HIPAA, and it's compliant constitutionally. And and as long and as long as I've known you, you know, ever since May or or you know, whenever you reopened your salon, it's always been about hey, we're socially distanced. We're uh, disinfecting the salon. We have separate rooms for every client. There's no reason why somebody should need to wear a mask if you're socially distanced. Right. There's no need. And uh, lastly, again, and I, I'm just I'm very much on board with this. We don't we don't know what someone has experienced in life if they can or cannot wear a mask. We don't know what that does to their physical being. And I personally have some things in my past that um, hinder me from wearing a mask. Uh, psychologically, and I'll be darned if it's anyone's business why, um, and if I need to relive that story to justify my reasoning, it's not anyone's business. And as a female who loves to empower other females, if you can't wear a mask, I do not care why. And honestly, the science at this point does not back up mask wearing anyway. And right. if, if it did, this would be a different conversation, but it does not. There are Never mind. Never mind the medical exemptions that uh, they have. They have illegally said that uh, you cannot provide a medical exemption. Uh, that's a direct violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I, I know plenty of people, including in my own family, who have respiratory issues and can't wear a mask. Right. And um, what's interesting to me too is is I've been doing a lot of traveling um, for work for this, and. <laughs> The airlines are, are rewriting their policies as to what's acceptable for a mask. We're talking about the type of material it's made of, how it's worn, whether it has a ventilator or not, um, you know, what it says on the front, what it's offensive or not. At, at some point, we've shifted from listening to even scientists or doctors. And now, because the government has said businesses have to enforce this, businesses are writing out their own policies on what's safe. So I'm sorry, how does an airline know what's safe for me? They specialize in transporting passengers via an airplane from point A to point B. 
they're not scientists, they're not doctors, they're not officials, but yet now they're writing the policies based on just their, I guess their opinion on what's safe and what isn't. You know, that, that's, that's been really creepy to, for me to watch is, is watching these corporations bend over backwards to comply with states that have no science behind what they're demanding. Uh, and, and they're not making it illegal. They're not making it a, uh, a legal mandate necessarily. They're just telling these corporations to enforce their rules for them. And, and they're doing it instead of, you know, hey, questioning, may, maybe we should uh, think about this a little bit. Right. Not only are they doing it, no questions asked, they, they're so worried about getting lash, backlash from whoever, the, the liberal left, about she's wearing a Trump mask or she's wearing a mask that isn't full coverage or she's not wearing it over her nose. They're mm -hmm. so worried about that backlash that now they're writing their own rules for it based on just that. So it's, it's the percentage of American popular opinion on what a mask should be made of that's not science right. and so why why are airlines now telling us what's safe i mean that would be the same as you know um the weed shop saying okay well we actually only accept these masks okay you you sell weed tell me what qualifies you to tell me what type of mask is most safe for preventing the spread of covid19 yeah. i don't believe that an airline has the the letters behind their name to back that up and so the fact that they're not only following the rules, they're rewriting them is pretty scary. Yep, I agree. Okay, uh, last question then, Lindsey Graham, uh, Glamour Salon down there in, uh, in Salem. Tell me, you, you mentioned earlier in the conversation about the popular support you've received uh, for setting up your GoFundMe, or you, know, you had a friend set up the GoFundMe. Um, you uh, reopened your salon in May, and you met with some serious... Uh, national support on uh, what you did. Uh, talk more about that. Uh, what, what have people said and, and how gratifying has it been to uh, see people come out and support you like this? Oh, it's, it's been extremely gratifying. Um, in the very beginning, COVID, when I, when I opened, I was one of the first businesses, probably I think in America to open, um, one of uh, at least the top five. And so at that point, people were still concerned with what we did and did not know about COVID-19. And so there was a lot of, you know, you're a murderer, you're killing people, you're selfish, you're just, you're just trying to make money instead of protect your fellow humans. Um, and that is, I mean, that's pretty much gone now because we've been doing this for a year and the government said that they wanted to, to slow the spread, right? Well, they did. They slowed it so much that it's a year later and we're still dealing with it. So congratulations, we slowed the spread. You extended it out to a year now. Um, but, but a lot of people saw through the BS right away, like, like myself, and they came forward and said, we support you. You have a right to make a living. Um, you know, it doesn't even really matter how safe or unsafe it is. It's just, it's your right to operate. And it's an American's right to say, well, if I don't think her hair salon is safe, I'm not going to go. And you absolutely have that right. And every single business has that right to decide how they want to operate their business. And then every customer has the right to decide it's, it meets my qualifications, I am or I'm not gonna give you my business. And so the supporters were there, they understood that concept right away. Um, I did quite a few national interviews with, you know, Lars Larson, Glenn Beck, Dana Loesch, um, and that has garnered more support. You know, when people that are on your side are watching your story, they come forward, it's been fantastic. 
And then when this lawsuit hit a couple days ago and hit the media, I really haven't gotten any backlash, which is amazing. I've gotten a ton, ton, ton of support. Anyone that felt like they needed to come after me for being, you know, quote, a murderer, those people have, have either woken up and seen the truth and they realize that, you know, I'm not killing people from, I'm not killing people with COVID by doing hair. Um, they've sort of disappeared or they've just quieted down. I think what happened really was that I was, they tried to intimidate me into being quiet right away and uh, it didn't work. And, and I'm actually quite a bit louder now. <laughs> and so now they just kind of know that they're not going to shut me up. And I think they just don't waste their time, which is fabulous for me. It's way less stressful. Um, but the, the support now is, is coming back again. Uh, I've done a national, I did a national news interview yesterday and I'm doing another one tomorrow. And those people um, that send an email or, you know, my receptionist said that she's gotten some phone calls at the salon offering support. I've gotten greeting cards sent to the salon with, you know, American flags on it. Those people have made all the difference, all the difference. No one will ever know what I went through when I opened ever. I was the only person that went through it. Um, and there was quite a bit of backlash in the beginning. It was, it was pretty devastating. I didn't expect it. But what kept me going was the people that sent their supportive emails and messages and cards and things like that. So I'm very, very, very thankful for you patriots out there. Um, and even if you are just praying for me behind closed doors, that's super appreciated too. That's, that's all I could ever ask for. Awesome. All right. Uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, tell everybody, I know you do a lot of uh, social media updates and you've posted your links to your national interviews on, on your social sites. So tell everybody where you can be found one more time so that okay. uh, people can uh, go donate money. Yeah. The best place to find me and to find, you know, the real me updating the story and living my Patriot life is uh, Instagram patriot.barbie and uh, my website, which is www.patriotbarbie.com. That name was given to me by a liberal who wanted to offend me and I snatched it right up and, and made it a thing. <laughs> Love so it. now I'm Patriot Barbie. Perfect. And yeah. And so on my Instagram, Patriot.Barbie and my website, I have, you know, the lawsuit PDF listed on my website. I have Patriot Barbie apparel. It's just, it's kind of a whole thing for me now. I'm, I'm coming out with Patriot Barbie um, water things. Nice. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm all about the America now. So that's where Very you can good. find, you know, my real updates and stuff. So. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lindsey Graham, Patriot Barbie, uh, Glamour Salon. Awesome to uh, get caught up with you. Keep up the good fight. Thank you, Jeff. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out the Behind the Curtain podcast. I want to thank my buddy, Brian Futch, for providing me the theme song, I Am America produced by Cass Anawadi. Join us again next time for another episode of Behind the Curtain with Jeff Reynolds.
still hear his spirit sing I am America This land is my land America I know one day after I'm gone Someone will carry this dream along And that's what makes this country so There's no price for his country he wouldn't pay Like so many others, he fought for the cause with great devotion Just like his daddy His eyes say it loud and clear I am America This land, my land, America I know one day after I'm gone Someone will carry this dream along That's what makes it down the things he was taught like loving your neighbor and trusting in God I am a man